0: Welcome listeners to our fourth and penultimate episode of our second season. Uh, I'm Rohit Segal, Chief Strategist here at The Voices Project based out of Singapore. Our objective in this season's episodes has been to lay the foundations for a deeper, more regionalized understanding of the necessary frameworks for the role of tech in life sciences. By doing so, we aim to develop region specific consensus that can be leveraged by policymakers healthcare professionals and actors in the private sector to better facilitate and one should say accelerate the development and rollout of much needed innovation and reform. Not only in Asia, but one should take a more globalized look at this as well. And it's really trying to develop the necessary coalitions and collaborations amongst those vital voices, the policymakers and agenda setters that can complement and build upon existing initiatives. In this keynote episode, I'm joined once more by the always irrepressible Dr. Kiran Priyadarshini, JPAC lead for health and life sciences, Microsoft. Kiran, for those listeners who've not tuned in to our previous episodes, would you like to give a little bit of a background to yourself?
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Rohit, for once again inviting, always the elixir of life speaking with you. Um, so, just as a matter of introduction, I lead the healthcare vertical at Microsoft for JPAC. Uh, and what that means is being able to share the technologies that Microsoft brings for you know empowering healthcare organizations be they hospitals or providers or payers uh, across uh, the multiple countries
0: thanks for that Um, well we've had tremendous discussions in the last I would say almost three episodes with some very engaging guests including Kiran and I'd urge our listeners to definitely give those a listen Uh, from the factors and gaps in health and tech policymaking to the risks and rewards of personalized healthcare, and the fundamental role that consumerized health can have in defining newer age treatment access, and one of those always uh, omnipresent issues, adherence and compliance. What we want to do in this wrap-up episode, one can say, is to reflect on some key takeaways and try to help frame the pressing future aspects of technology-led healthcare, and it's important that we have someone like Karen here because what Karen's doing is reflecting it from the point of view of technology neutrality and looking at it from a much more broader perspective, which uh, really does lack in the discourse that we have uh, in our industries today. Right, so, karen I'm going to give a very, uh, perhaps somewhat obscure reference. So for our listeners as well, please forgive me. But as a kid growing up in Kuala Lumpur, one of my favorite TV shows was The Jetsons. Now, for those who have um, not seen The Jetsons, uh, it's still available. You can still catch it online. Uh, It's actually one of those lovely uh, 60s uh, cartoons that used to sort of look at the future and how the future was going to be sort of in the same realm of where the Flintstones used to be. Interestingly enough, I learned this only recently, it's actually set, it's supposed to be set in 2062, and that's not so far away now, and some of the visuals in that TV show used to show some amazing things, uh, you know, so um, using that reference, uh, it seems we're living in the future sometimes, doesn't it, you know, with data convergence and health convergence, the world of wearables in particular has redefined much of our lives, so Imagine, uh, Kiran, if you had a crystal ball right there in front of you right now, how would you define particularly this role of wearables or this next chapter of healthcare uh, from that perspective of how it's bringing patients, health service, all that together? What does your crystal ball say?
1: Um, So so Rohit, uh, would love to um, have the 2062 today. Uh, But uh, what my take is that we've just begun the journey, right? And I think one of the the silver lining around COVID has been that it has accelerated some of that journey, but I would say we're just at the start. Uh, But going forward, I think there are two things that we would definitely see very positive happening. One, as you rightly said, data convergence or what we call as interoperability, where you're not looking at siloed data sets, but you're looking at an interconnected, where everybody talks to the other. You know, it's just like your Bluetooth speakers. Um, They talk to every device that you wanna connect with them. It's healthcare is gonna be like that where it's a plug and play kind of a system that depending on which device or which, uh, let's say service is generating data, you're able to kind of integrate that into the main hub. So these are gonna be spokes which are gonna kind of feed into the main hub and that is something, it's just that the spoke and the hub could be defined in different ways. It could be a group of hospitals with their subsidiary across different geos, or it could be the government. The government could have like a national hub and you know every hospital, public, private, uh, pharmaceuticals, pharmacies, uh, payers kind of, Dipping in and uploading that data into that but there's going to be convergence, for sure, uh, and data and Ai are going to be the drivers for that convergence, that is one thing that I think will definitely. Uh, be much better than where we are today, the second one is therefore the types of data right, so if you go back like 15 years ago or even let's say 10 years ago, most of the data was your medical records but that's not the conversation we are having today. And it's gonna get you know even more stronger where we're saying data can come in from different sources, even with what we are talking now, this is what we call as an unstructured data where we're having an open conversation. Even that is gonna have a, a, a role to play. So what I would say is the quality, the type, and the quantity of data is gonna be on the rise and wearables is definitely one of the data, right? So you're gonna have medical, data, you're gonna have omics, what we call as omics data, you're gonna have DICOM images in healthcare specifically, you're gonna have lab reports and wearable data, right? So wearable data is gonna be, as I said, much more continuous, uh, higher in quantity and quality as well. And so coming back to the hub and spoke model, you're gonna have what we call as APIs or these connectors, which have the ability to pull in that data into that national grid so this is where you know the freedom to generate data and this wearable data would have very clean objectives one is prevention right and that's why we're saying given a particular profile of a set of population how do we prevent them from becoming sick number one number two those who are already sick how do we kind of keep the quality of life going right how do we kind of maintain, the, the disease should not progress, but we are able to regress the progression of that disease. That's the middle segment that I see, the fat segment, right? And then the last one is where we are looking at wellness. This is where we are saying, hey, you know, you don't have any disease, you're not sick, you're hey healthy, happy, and strong. How do we keep that right into 80s, your 80s, your 90s? And I think by 2062, all of us would probably be in our 70s, 80s, and 90s. So how do we keep that really? well so that people enjoy uh, that quality of life. So I think these are the two things that I see going forward, which we will do very well. Data convergence, national hub, different types of data. And then again, you will have technology coming in to say, how do we make it seamless? How do we make it you know, um, secure? Because data has to be secure and private. At the same time, what are some of the new cool things that we can bring in to help the doctors uh, you know, achieve patient outcomes? so those i think would be the interesting parts going forward
0: thank you uh, i mean that's a good segue to sort of talking about the the, the, the 800 pound gorilla in the room which is always uh, the president it's always that about data privacy isn't it um we're yeah. talking about such a wide array or an opportunity to spread technology from you know uh, different parts of uh, health services and health providers uh, it's always been something with naysayers that you know, whoa, data privacy and you know how is that going to happen? And we've touched upon that um, uh, in some of our earlier episodes specifically. Have there been, Karen, mitigating factors that can provide some sort of assurance um, that data privacy, or security, and greater efficiencies outcomes are now actually possible? It's it's uh, it's almost is there such a degree of barrier to data privacy then, or is this more just a legacy? What would be some thoughts there?
1: Yeah, I think there are two steps to that, Rohit. So the first thing is classifying data, because you know, we treat all data as equal in healthcare, and that's not true because healthcare data, as I said previously, will come in different forms, different sources. All the data does not have to be treated with the same sensitivity, same level of privacy as well. So I think data classification based on each country's you know definition is I think the first step, right? And then then comes, of course, depending on the level of sensitivity, how much of privacy and security you need for um, this type of data. And that's where technology comes in. And just to name a few, uh, I was in a seminar conducted by Zulig Pharma a few weeks ago and uh, shared it on LinkedIn as well. That's where we were talking of blockchain. And with cryptocurrency coming in, how can we keep data secure? How can we track who is making those changes in that data and how do we kind of have by invitation only so that you know there is the patient can decide who should have access to that data right so that's one type of technology that's evolving and th- thanks to of course uh, you know things like cryptocurrency it's kind of evolving faster then you have in healthcare what is the fast healthcare interoperability resources right fire now that is very interesting because that's why we're saying How can we kind of bring all these data sets together? And when we move to the cloud, we, at least with Azure, we have capabilities where we can anonymize that data, right? We have Azure Health Data Services where we're able to anonymize that. And whatever, let's say uh, insights we want to draw is on totally de-identified data. So when the data comes back to the hospital is re-identified. In that way, you keep that data very private. But at the same time, you're able to do the analytics that you want to do Again, save, so to serve the same population, right? How do you kind of help the doctor have better patient outcomes? Yesterday, I was with one of our clients and they were saying, oh, you know, if I'm doing a teleconsult and that was under a trauma condition, that, you know, they're doing a teleconsult, can I get all this data together in one place and make sense of it? Now, that's where we're saying, how can we keep that data private? Because, you know, uh, we should know who accesses it, who should have access to that, and what access should they have. So these are some very interesting capabilities that we have uh, at Microsoft as well, where you can, and we use it in our daily life um, when we work at Microsoft. So technology is definitely there to ensure um, that you're able to use that data, but at the same time, keep it secure and compliant.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because um, there've been times from a regulatory perspective when it came to, I think the early days, just as the pandemic was coming in, and telehealth was suddenly, you know, having to fill sort of sort of some gaps. That uh, what sort of information are you imparting uh, in a in a less formal environment? And who is able to see it needs to also be factored in. So it's not so much about the uh, more virtual ether data, but also sometimes the sheer data that's being shown on screens or discussed in environments that aren't perhaps as um, uh secure as they should be so oh, there's there, there's a whole sort of factor i remember someone sort of pointing out that um i think it was an eye doctor somewhere in india who was trying to look at um uh, the patient through uh, a laptop or a phone and uh, you know the lighting was poor and uh, you know the, the person had to put their camera phone on and but more than that it was trying to explain certain uh, sensitive issues that the family members were nearby and this person said, I didn't want them to know all that. So you take that one notch higher to, you know, infectious diseases or sexually transmitted infections and being told your diagnosis in places where data is not so private. It's it's an interesting dichotomy that, you know, it's it's about how do you have an all-encompassing, I think, as you're saying, an all-encompassing view of where data and technology can reside.
1: Yeah. So if you look at the same example, right? Um, so what you can do is what we're doing, you know, on teams, what you can do is, um, doctors in, in major public hospitals are using that. You know, when they go around the wards, um, especially nurses, right? They're they, they they are handing over to the next uh, nurse and they suddenly see that, you know, this particular patient has some lesion or some injury, and they want to hand it over to the next nurse, uh, but also take a record that, you know, this is what we saw and uh, this needs to be treated. So using Teams, you can take a picture. Uh, a, it will never leave. You cannot download it uh, onto your you know, your phone and then circulate it through other means, no. It will remain within Teams. Only those who have access will be able to even look at it. right? But at the same time, there is a very good handover because you know that nurse X is handing over to nurse Y. Uh, and if I were to stretch that logic a bit more, we have AI models, right? And this example that you shared, the person doesn't even have to detail a lot because this picture of the eye would be subject, and we have some very interesting models in India as well, mm-hmm. where you know, using AI, you can actually kind of see what are some of the issues that even the patient doesn't know. And it can, you know, kind of bring the doctor's attention to these um, anomalies in that image and say, you might want to do a deep dive into those. Mm-hmm. So that's the interesting part where you can really bring in technology and keep, you know, the, the patient didn't have to kind of give a full detail, but keep that image safe. Uh, very, very uh, between the doctor and the patient only. Yeah, yeah
0: absolutely. Um, well, one area that uh, we should be talking about, and I think for our listeners who are in hospitalised care, or at least from an administrative point of view, and I'm sure this sort of plagues you all very often. So that's about sustainability goals. Now, let's let's sort of contextualise this. We, I think, the general population always looks at the usual suspects for carbon footprints you know whether that's transportation factories mining you know uh, industries and so on not many people realize that when you look at healthcare as a polluter uh, it's something that actually has been a, a big issue um, now we sort of break that down um, hospitalized care uh, does pollute i mean everything from lighting electricity the uh, uh, the, the laundry the surgeries disposing of biohazardous wastes uh, many countries still use fairly uh, archaic forms of incinerators, um, even home care. So the you know, the fact that patients who are at home are using up a certain amount of their uh, sort of environment as well, but the transportation back and forth. In the context of, I guess, sustainability, and probably this is more of a, a teaser for what's to come in some future seasons, sustainability and the marriage of sustainability and technology in healthcare, and Um, Clean air, yes, Uh, water and social, societal determinants of health, of course, but do you see new or mobile emerging technologies that can also play a factor here, Um, you know, in terms of how uh, this could work, I mean, an example, right, asthma is a disease of, you know, um, many, many people, unfortunately, but more and more people are realizing the actual device itself does have a certain amount of release, carbon release in the air and how many puffs you're doing, wasteful puffs, um, has an impact, right? So these are these small, interesting things which people don't generally think about. But do you see technologies in this regard having uh, environmentally and sustainable goals linked to? Them?
1: Yeah, so, so Rohit, this is very interesting because, you know, sustainability and what we call as smart hospitals, uh, is something that you know uh, is a big push in healthcare that we see nowadays and i know you did cover a few areas around biohazardous waste as well. but i think one of the biggest if i can use the word not polluters but the most inefficient um, areas is around cooling mm-hmm. uh, you know aircon because you know the whole hospital has to be uh, the air has to be purified it has to be maintained at a particular temperature Uh, And that is one of the, I would say, the biggest consumers or contributors. And so this is where we look at, you know, the concept of smart hospitals. And I think in Singapore and a few other markets, you're doing a very good job where two ways. One is the new hospital units that we set up. We set it up in a smart way. And I'll come to some of the issues that you've uh, mentioned over here. And the second one is where you have older hospitals, but they are building out or extending wards. Um, this is where you can also kind of come in and say, uh, how do we make them very, um, you know, technologically savvy or rather low on carbon footprint? And so um, things like, um, you know, even the, the ones that you mentioned, uh, biohazardous waste is one, but uh, I think my worry is not so much on the biohazardous waste, because that is a waste that is generated anyway. And it is extremely, you have to be very careful because, you know, uh, it it can easily contaminate others as well. But we do have technology where you know, incineration, even at its best, does pollute the environment. That's where we have to use other ways to offset that carbon footprint. Because even if you look at the best technologies and probably it'll get better as we go by, the very process and the residue that you get from the incineration also has to be disposed of very carefully, right? Uh, so it's a, I think technology is still evolving. But let me bring you back to the hospital per se, right? One of the things that we're working on, and I think sustainability is an outcome of that, is where we're looking at what's the most efficient way to run a hospital, right? When you look at the infra resources that are being used, and as I was saying, the air cu- cooling, the purifying, the energy consumption, the lights, and stretching that even more, Um, the way the hospital is designed, right? Uh, Is there a way that I can use, uh, I saw this very beautifully at Narayana Health Hospital in India where, you know, the lifts, um, they're always jammed, they're always congested. What is a very sustainable, eco-friendly way where they have actually kind of built very uh, comfortable ramps and wide enough that you can actually wheel a bed through very conveniently. You don't have to wait for the lifts. And if you know, you're getting delayed, that I think is a very eco-friendly way. We are able to kind of just wheel across from one floor to the other probably. If you're just going to one floor, So those are some of the ways in which, and if you remember our first podcast that we did, what we said is that the whole healthcare model is changing. So it's no longer that hospital is going to be the center of care. It's going to be community care. It's going to be your GP who is probably a few meters away where care is going to be centered. So hospitals, the very physical structure of the hospital, the way the wards, and we have some very interesting hospitals in Singapore where, the way the wards are designed, the way you have natural air and ventilation coming in, and you don't need these aircons anymore. The way the direction in which they are made is just amazing. How technology is helping them to kind of use resources in a very sustainable fashion. Um, so that's where I would say that smart hospital, and if I can extend that logic to smart cities, um, smart towns. Uh, that's where you're looking at being able to kind of build that whole sustainability route um, starting from the hospital. But it is, a, I would say it is a revolution in progress uh, because we're just looking at, you know, where all can we offset the carbon footprint, you know, that we are generating through other sources in the hospital. Um, one of the other, con- and but but having said that, I think one of the things we need to keep in mind is that the primary aim of the hospital is to keep the patient healthy have a better outcome and get them to kind of leave a happy life so the I wouldn't say it's actually a pollution but communicable diseases right uh, what they call it as hospital acquired infection is another area of concern because that's where we see that the use of antibiotics have kind of failed to quell that pneumonia is a classic case you you were talking about asthma and I'll come to that but pneumonia a lot of people are now getting pneumonia not because they have pneumonia they acquired it in the hospital they went in let's say for some other disease and they come back and they are you know delayed because they have pneumonia that they've acquired so this whole sustainability thing has to be in a way that you're able to use the resources efficiently but at the same time you're able to kind of get good patient outcome we don't want to kind of you know optimize resources but compromise patient outcomes that is definitely a no-go so how can these two go hand in hand where you're having better patient outcomes at the same time you're able to do it in a very sustainable Cost-efficient fashion as well, and I think technology does play a very good role where you're able to streamline workflows within the hospital, right? Like you, you, I was talking to you about air cooling. So, is there a way that you know when rooms are not in use, you're able to shut down uh, resources like lights, aircon? Um, are you able to kind of have doors in such a way that they swing, you know, the, now you see it in operating theaters where, you know, when you go in they open, when you leave the doors shut automatically, you're able to conserve. Then technology also has brought in what they call as air corridors, right? So you're able to kind of cut off where you don't have a door. You can't have a door. Can I kind of build air corridors to keep the cool, uh, the temperature cooled inside? So technology is finding ways in which they can kind of make things more efficient. And coming back to the device that you said for the asthma inhaler, I don't know if you're aware, but there are smart inhalers that are being developed where you're able to minimize, uh, you're able to kind of have maximum input and minimize the wastage that you see um, from those medications. Because the good thing Rohit is that if you're able to have those smart inhalers, you're able to reduce the dosage. Yeah. Because you see the dosage takes into effect what goes in and what gets wasted. this is therefore you can can reduce the drug dosage as well so these are very interesting things that technology is coming out with yeah
0: yeah fascinating i mean uh, and i think this is where for for our listeners who've been trying to sort of come to grasp with where and what does technology mean in the Mm. area of healthcare i think these these episodes here and particularly karen what you just said about how the granularity of technology is now in front of us means that there has to be more effective and catch up in policy making around regulatory uh, understandings, around a convergence of not just laying this on uh, a healthcare door, but trying to bring together a vast variety of multilateral um, uh, inclusion. So, you know, sorting something out in terms of a patient's uh, life cycle in and out of a hospital, I think Kiran, as you were mentioning, has so many different parameters. It has things that are from strategic setups for hospitalization and training and resources, but then it's also very tactical in terms of how do we capture the right data at the right time or allow for better adherence and compliance even to the extent of environmental and sustainable uh, achievements. So it is here. Uh, Perhaps the Jetsons analogy wasn't so far off the mark. Maybe it's not as uh, uh, simply as pressing a button, but we're certainly at least getting in that right path. Kiran, I think as a sort of like your your, your sort of parting words for the listeners, um, as always, have been extremely enlightening and enlightening in the last few episodes. And uh, as we sort of come to the close of this one, um, what's been your sense, the realization of systemic changes, the inclusion factors, but what would you say as a brief summary of your outlook or takeaways? Sure. Uh,
1: before I can get into that, Rohit, uh, I just want to comment on the regulatory part, right? Um, so regulations, government policies you normally have been a leg right they've always kind of done a catch on. But the good news is that uh, I would say post COVID, we do see that they are leading from the front. They are coming and saying hey what is it that I need to put in place so that I'm able to use technology X, uh, but safeguard. Right. So earlier, it would be that, you know, you would present a technology or a use of a technology, and then they would take ages to kind of study that. But now what they're saying is, hey, I want to use that new technology to help my patients. What are some of the safeguards that I need to put in place so that, you know, it's not misused or wrongly used? So I, in fact, in the last two years at Microsoft, we have seen uh, I have personally seen a lot of governments kind of standing up and saying, I need to get that data together, I need to get AI and ML to kind of help my patients have uh, better outcomes. A simple example is in India, you have Ayushman Bharat, how do I can have universal coverage uh, for every rural household included, right? So those are some very interesting, and those kind of, I would say, dream big projects are possible, because you have the underlying technology to support it. Uh, And you do have the willingness of governments and policyholders to either have a sandbox environment where they can try it out and play with it before they scale it out. Or and vaccination was a classic example right where in vaccination, what did we do we got the data of. The vaccination status of the entire country on one platform, so in a way, it was like a sandbox environment for the governments to say, if I can do it for vaccination, I can definitely do it for medical records. So so that was, I thought, a very interesting learning moment um, for everybody, especially from the government and policy regulators as well, right? And as a parting shot, um, you know, one of the interesting discussions we have within within ourselves among healthcare is that, you know, now that COVID is ebbing away, thankfully, are these technologies gonna stay or are we gonna see kind of, you know, dropping off of some of them So I would like to kind of close by saying that, you know, there's some technologies that came in and they are going to stay because they have kind of proven their use. And among them, I want to definitely mention the no brainer, which is virtual health and where we are looking at things like, you know, uh, along with virtual health, we are saying, can we do virtual rehab? Uh, Can we have e-pharmacy, for example? Can we use AI, ML? and of course IOMT, which is the internet of medical things. Uh, and can we kind of you know, have all this integrated into a patient 360 degree kind of a view, right? These are things that are definitely not going to go away. And the other that I mentioned is around predictive, preventive care. Uh, and in, in other words, we can call it wellness as well, where we're saying, hey, and wellness is encompassing mental health, physical health, fitness, diet, know all that so that's another thing that people have become very conscious about as they live longer there's better quality of life and so those are some of the things that are going to be definitely dominating in the new future and last but not the least what the public health systems are definitely going to evolve Uh, i i walk across jpac so i can tell you very safely there are at least 50 to 60 percent of the governments that we are working with and and i like the way they go about it they they look at the best practices so you know we have teams going to redmond uh, to seattle uh, microsoft office and learning from them and then visiting our other customers and saying hey how did you do it and is there something that we can learn so everybody seems to be on the from the government policy sides on a very nice learning journey and this is where as i was talking to you about aishman bharat Uh, In India, we also have the NDHM, the National Telemed Platform, for example. Um, In in Singapore, we have the NGMR, where we are looking at a very united health integratable system. And the aim of that is twofold, to have very good patient experiences at the same time, have a good patient outcome. So I think these are some of the things that I would say have solidified. Uh, They're not going to go away. The technology has helped kind of, round them off so nicely that now you know it's like second nature right um, like I today morning having a conversation I needed to get a ART test done before I travel to India I would probably the old way is to go down to the clinic get it done but now you have virtual ART so you know so those are some of the things that have become second nature and I love that because now it's like you know you want more you know they say in Hindi dil mange more you want more so so what's next you know we've come this far in the last two and a half years so what else can we, you know, can we open the Pandora's box and see what else, what some of the cool stuff that we can do? And okay. if I could just take 30 seconds more, one of the things that's super interesting and I'm personally looking forward to is the Microsoft Mesh, where geographical boundaries will no longer exist. Right now, it's under private preview. But think about it like this. If Rohit and myself are having this conversation, we don't have to do it across a screen. I would probably have Rohit sitting next to me on a chair, in a digital avatar fashion and you know talking as though we're just like you know sitting in a room having coffee or in a cafe and same thing i would be sitting with rohit uh, and he might choose to sit in a very swanky cafe and you know kind of talk and have this conversation and imagine it could be anybody on planet earth you know i want to talk to somebody in the us on healthcare um, you know rohit might say hey let's have a wearable discussion and instead of having everybody as little little 2D images on a screen, we can actually have them sitting around a table with different avatars interacting, talking as though we are in the same room. That is something that I really look forward to. Wow.
0: <laughs> oh, well, you 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 definitely are personifying the Jetsons in 2022. That's for sure. Thank you so much, Karen, and thank you for uh, participating uh, to our listeners as always. Thank you so much for your support your feedback, your insights. Uh, We love receiving all the feedback you give us. It just helps us uh, identify those areas that we should go into more deeper. And of course, wherever possible, to connect you with the experts that we have on our forum uh, for there to be a better and open dialogue. So with that, um, thank you, everyone. Uh, This comes to the end of our uh, episode here. You can always follow us more at uh, www. VoicesProjectAsia.org. We've also got an RSS channel that you'll see on the link below, and we look forward to keeping this forum going. Thanks so much, everyone. Thank you, Thank Karen.
1: you so much. Yeah, thanks for the.